Hi, this is Keith Townsend from the CTOadvisor.com. You're listening to a special Out of Bound CTO Advisor chat with two really great guests, Justin Warren and Stephen Fawcett. Justin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. It's uh, Justin Warren here from Pivot9.com um, and also Eigenmagic.com. Um, I run a consulting company based out of Australia, and uh, we concentrate on well, pretty much the tech market, enterprise technology, and the marketing thereof. All right, and for someone who probably needs a little less introduction, Stephen, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, sure. Hey, this is Stephen Foskett. I'm the, uh, I don't know, proprietor of the Tech Field Day events. Um, you know, I uh, love writing and speaking about storage and virtualization and future of IT and stuff like that. And I also get to get a chance to spend some time with some great people like the Packet Pushers folks and the two of you guys at my events. Uh, you know, and I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, both Justin and Steven via the Tech Field Day events. Believe it or not, it's for, uh, I think, both times I've met Justin was at Storage Field Day type events. I'm not a storage guy, so I appreciate Steven uh taking the time Wait, to, you're not uh, a storage guy i am oh, not no man no. i gotta sorry i gotta go cross something off here <laughs> and uh i don't <laughs> want to scare the packet pusher audience away this is by far not a storage podcast we are actually doing a round table coming out of a tech field day event the last virtualization field day actually steven i think it's worth spending a couple of minutes talking about why was this the last virtualization field day yeah, that's actually an interesting point right there. And it's not anything to do with the event. Um, essentially, so uh, we do Tech Field Day in different vertical spaces. Some of the folks on the, on the line, uh, I'm sure, have uh, tuned in for networking field day events in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, we do storage and virtualization was uh, sort of a natural uh, topic for us to be in. But, um, you know, a few, years, a few years ago, that was, you know, really the toast of the town. And, and just saying the V word, opened a lot of doors for us. Uh, so we essentially took our classic, you know, tech field day event, which was for the the stack, the IT stack, and um, and just called it virtualization field day because it seemed like virtualization was where the data center was at anyway. And that was a good way to sum up uh, what the topic was. Um, but, but something funny happened this year. Uh, starting at the beginning of the year, uh, we did virtualization field day four and five, and, and then the sixth one here in, in the end of the year. All throughout, um, I found companies starting to say, uh, we don't want to be uh, lumped into the virtualization market, or this is not, you know, we don't under understand what you're doing here. We don't understand why uh, that's the topic. Um, seems like the market has moved on. And um, since it was named out of convenience uh, to start with, we said, okay, we'll take that and um, moved on our event too. So next year, it's just going to be Tech Field Day once again. And I think the conversation we have planned is a good indicator of how virtualization field day tech field day is a discussion about the entire stack i think uh we'll have some interesting tidbits from each part of the stack as we talk about the transition of the data center from this thing that we all knew well you know greg and team talks a lot about how not much has changed in the data center for probably 12 to 15 years. And m most recently, companies have really started to do some, I think, interesting things with the force factor of what's AWS and 
cloud computing companies have to change and the data center has changed, so products have changed. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the new and the old, how companies that we are familiar with from those first 12 to 15 years of a generation of data center, how they're changing. Coming out of HPE Discover just this last week of the previously to recording this podcast, HP, I think, or HPE, did a great job of describing how they're going to meet the needs of this ideal economy while servicing their legacy customers. So the customers that still need uh, VMAXs and uh, three-part storage along with traditional uh, rack servers alongside cloud computing and uh, this go-fast DevOps nature of products like Docker, how do you transform your products and services to meet the needs of those customers while at the same time still uh, serving your foundational customers, the bread and butter? We'll, we'll talk about, you know, a couple of different approaches by two, I think, fairly well-known names in both uh, the networking and storage space. We'll start with uh, Spirit. Uh, did either uh, you have a strong kind of reaction to Spirit's offering that they did at, at the, that they presented at Virtualization Field Day? Yeah, not really. Um, I mean, it's <clears throat> it's probably not not an area that I I spend a lot of time on that sort of uh, real testing stuff. I haven't dealt with that that sort of gear in probably ten years. Um, in anger, um, <laughs> what about you, Stephen? Yeah, it's it's interesting that, that you say that because uh, I think that one thing that they were really trying to say was that, um, well, you know, as Keith kind of set it up here, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got a company who is really good at something, you know, I mean, Spirant is really good at testing and specifically they've been really good at, uh, you know, punishing tests of, of network equipment. Um where does that company go in the future? You know, where does that company go in a virtual world? Where does it go in a hyperscale world? And um, and that's the question that they're trying to answer. Um, you know, at the uh, at Virtualization Field Day, you know, they they were presenting uh, their Tamiva uh, product. Uh, it's a way to you know, I, I think that it is a way to try to figure out how to move that. Uh, traditional IP in, into the future when people don't necessarily want, you know, to buy a big packet generator and, and packet collector and they don't want to generate the same kind of, uh, you know, the same kind of graphs and the same kind of data. And I think that's a really interesting, I don't know if it's a dilemma. It's a, it's an interesting challenge that they're in. I've used Spirance load generators in the past because it's, it's one of those things when you need them, it's usually because you're in a pretty tight spot. I mean, these things are not cheap devices. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the network generators were hundreds or thousands of dollars or in, in, in cases, depending on how many you needed. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't overly simple to use. Um, but if you really needed to solve a difficult load mm -hmm. problem, uh, there really wasn't much of an alternative. I don't know, and this is new, I don't know in a virtualization, in the virtualized data center and the cloud-based data center, if there's the need for the same type of load generation tools. You know, we, we 
we tend to script the stuff more often. Uh, you know, we we have the full capability of DevOps type engineers on this side of the data center. So I don't know how much of the rigor is needed for that type of testing in a virtualized world versus what we can do with stuff that, you know, we're learning from the Netflixes of the world. What's more important to generate load or the, to do something with chaos monkey and generate yeah, failures? Generate scale. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah, the interesting aspect, isn't it? Cause you know, you've got so much, so much attention being developed to figuring out how to scale uh, these web scale applications, how to make them grow as big as possible. And I guess the question comes down, the core question to me is if you can scale, you know, infinitely, um, you know, do you need to test for scale? Um, yeah, I think, I think you do. I'm, I'd like to answer that question. Mm. Yes, but let's see what you guys think. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing an interesting trend, I suppose, because I've been dealing with open source stuff for a long time and like open source software, has always been available, and you could do that before um, you know, for testing things. It just wasn't quite up to scratch the way the Spirant stuff was and some of the other testing gear that was out there. But because it's improved over time and just sort of incrementally got better, mm -hmm. it seems to be like, particularly with the DevOps-type developer movement, good enough is, is, is enough. You don't need that extra sort of that, that enterprise badge on top of things because we're not doing that it, it, it's that sort of real engineering type of thing where everything is tested to death and, um, you know, it's not like space travel where a small failure is catastrophic and the entire thing collapses in a heap and explodes, um, killing thousands. That used no, to be how... Yeah, that's the enterprise. So you'd yeah, have these the big monolithic right? things. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it was a lot more like the space shuttle. So everything had to be really tested and checked and, you know, double-checked and built by the lowest cost supplier um, and then now we've got all of this sort of more distributed way of doing things where things are kind of it's cheap and cheerful is fine and we expect it to break and die so we just throw it away and buy a new one it's a real kind of disposable um, way of doing things and that means that well you know I don't need this really expensive thing because a I'm a startup and can't afford it um, and b well hey this other thing that's open source and has been developed copying a lot of the great innovation and just lagging it by three or four years. So, well, you know what, that's, that's good enough. Um, I don't need that top end. I'm not building Ferraris. I'm, I'm building you know, Toyotas that, or, you know, cheap disposable scooters. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the trend that I'm seeing sort of across the board. And I think that the enterprise vendors are struggling with that a little bit. But the smart ones, I think, are kind of plugging into that and realizing that that's the situation and starting to build products that are a little different. You know, I mean, instead of building, you know, a box that does stuff, they're building, you know, on demand, uh, you know, web-based applications. And I mean, that's, I think that that was probably the most surprising aspect, you know, if you want to get back to Spirant specifically, um, you know, here's a company that, that they're, they make boxes and now they've, you know, come up with a, a truly virtual web-based, you know, software as a service testing system. Hmm. I mean, some of the stuff that they're talking about, um, not, not on virtualization field day so much, but in the security mm -hmm. side of things and network security, 
and that's like if we're talking scale, you know, being able to survive against a DDoS attack and, and things of that nature, it's like, well, yes, being able to um, survive that kind of thing um, and how do you mitigate that and how do you deal with that, that's, that's still a scale type thing. And that security aspect of things is, A, there's a lot of money piling into that space at the moment, but that's not going to go away either. And that's the kind of thing where I think the, the, this good enough attitude to development, we're seeing how broken that approach to things is when it comes to security, particularly at scale. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an opportunity there for, for companies. Yeah, that's another actually interesting angle right there is you mentioned sort of the competition, right? Um, you know, you've got a situation where uh, startups are absolutely attacking these spaces that traditional, you know, older companies have been in with new ideas and new ways of doing it. And it means that the companies have a choice, you know, to make. They can either, you know, try to compete with the startups on equal turf or they can try to be you know, well, <laughs> keep their head in the sand and say, oh, well, we were, uh, you know, we were here first, we were good enough, you know, we don't, we don't need to worry about those young upstarts, you know, I mean, we, which would you rather be, you know, the taxi company or the Uber? Hmm. So with yeah. the taxi company versus Uber uh, comparison, which is, I think, is a good lead into our good friends at Falcon Store, which is, again, another traditional, I, I, I want to call them a traditional play. But Falcon Store has always been a software company, a software storage company that, if you think about it, should be well positioned for this next phase of data center. They've always been a software storage company and software's eating the world. Software's eating the data center. But I have mm-hmm. to be honest, I didn't walk away from the Falcon Store presentation feeling like, wow, Falcon Store has really transitioned and set up this this huge investment in time they've had since the early 2000s uh, to be positioned to kind of take on a leadership role in the in kind of data center 2.0. Yeah. Justin, I'd really love to get your impression. I mean, you're a storage guy, I think. Uh, you, you actually know what erasure coding is versus me. What, <laughs> you know, what, how did you see the Falcon Store presentation? Yeah, I'm a recovering storage guy. Um, Falcon Store make me sad. They they actually have some great stuff. Um, and you're right about this the software side of things. They've been doing that for a really really long time. Um, in fact, they were they were one of the companies that really arrived. Bef- they were kind of ahead of their time with this whole software defined thing before that really became a a thing that had a term and it was wrapped up in a nice little bow that everyone started hyping about. They were already doing that. And unfortunately, they uh, haven't been able to... Point of order, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh-huh. just get into that later. Okay, go ahead. All right, all right. Um, <clears throat> so they, they should be like they should be doing better than they are. Um, and they've had some management transitions and um, they've kind of repositioned themselves a little bit. They're doing a lot more OEM deals now than they used to be. So, Stephen, you disagree with me vehemently, so I vehemently fun. disagree about software-defined storage, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I have. I'm on a. I'm on a, 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 a quixotic quest to uh, not let companies off the hook on software definedness. If they're going to be software defined, they'd better be really software defined, and that better mean something more than just software. Um, Falcon Store, absolutely. Uh, they have been transforming commodity hardware into software for longer than most companies have, and especially in the storage space. I mean. 
you know, selling a software only storage product. That was a big deal. And I, you know, I applaud Falcon Store for that. That's not software defined. Um, that's, you know, that's software storage. It's software based. It's software constructed storage, but it's not software defined storage in the same way that, you know, running, you know, Cisco iOS as software in a simulator is not software defined networking. Um, you know, SDN, SDS, it has to be something more than that. And, um, you know, that being said, where you're going with your discussion, I absolutely agree with you. As a company that has specialized in, you know, software for commodity hardware that transforms it into a storage system, they should have totally been set up for the software-defined storage world. But they weren't. And they were, uh, you know, they were focusing in other places. They were probably, you know, continuing to make plenty of money off of their... Uh, you know, existing, you know, licensing deals and resellers and so on, and, uh, and, and really didn't see the market transforming around them. And now uh, the market is transforming, and, and we shall see if they're ready to, uh, to sell a new product. And I think that's what they really have to do. They have to take their IP and package it up into a new product, something that competes with somebody, uh, you know, like a solid fire or even, you know, somebody, you know, a spring path or max or somebody like that instead of um, basically making a software-based RAID controller. Yeah, and there are, there are so many companies who are doing a similar thing now, whereas Tons. before they were kind of on their own and they could have defined, like they could have defined that market and, and be, been the people who were saying, this is what it means to be in this market. If you want to come play with this, hey, sure. Yeah. They really weren't in a position to do that, though, so it's not a surprise yeah. that they didn't. Yeah. Mm. Also, so, to clarify, I agree with you about yeah. It, storage has to run on hardware, and you know, it, every, all storage is hardware defined because it, it software has to run on something. So that's a pretty good point, uh, Stephen. I think some of the delegates delegates hit on that when they challenged the Falcon Store team on the whole usage of the term software defined. You know where. Where was the policy-driven nature of their solution? Exactly. How did, it, how did it help me manage my data center more effectively? Which I think is the challenge that a lot of the newer players are solving, which brings us into kind of the newer solutions within the, the presentations were AppFormix, Server, and ZeroStack. Mm -hmm. I, I want to pick on ZeroStack a little bit you know I came in thinking how is this different than Nebulous that I think the name of the company was Nebulous Nebula that, Nebula, Nebula that folded Nebulous on. I think may, might describe it better yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> oh. Nebula, <laughs> Nebula Ooh, that folded yeah. uh, a few months ago how is this solution different and I, I get the basic difference I think I get the basic difference, but can either you describe to me how this, you know, OpenStack appliance that's a scale out solution different than what those guys that uh, I think everyone collectively said hit the market too soon. How is the solution different? Well, I, 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 if, I, if I may jump in on that one, um, you know, I was really blown away by zero stack. Um, and so maybe maybe that's why I should be the one to answer that. Um, I was really surprised at the the scope of their vision. They're not. Uh, you're right. It's OpenStack, 
and yet another company packaging and selling OpenStack uh, sounds underwhelming. But once I saw uh, not what they're doing today, but what they're planning on doing, I mean, this is this is a company that basically has, you know, vSphere in their sites. This is a company that has even, you know, maybe Nutanix in their sites. I mean, they're basically building a data center in a box solution, um, you know, truly scale out, um, really a next generation thinking that is just happens to use OpenStack. What do you think? I, what I really liked about them is that they can go in either, either direction and they kind of pick and chose what parts of OpenStack they were going to use. And the ideal was, you know what, we're going to give you a data center that has an API, a cloud API to it. Today, that cloud API is OpenStack, but I think they had the vision to say that we're going to use the, the great parts of OpenStack that the community has contributed, and then we're going to add some of our own IP, and then we're going to give a solution to a customer who cares about APIs and having an API to their data center. And I think that part of their that part of their vision I really appreciate it and liked. I think they have a lot of challenges when it comes to I think the full stack. We had a bunch of storage guys there. We had a oh, bunch yeah. of networking guys there, and uh, both the storage and networking guys felt that the solutions were the solution uh, were a little light on that side of the house. What do you think, Justin? Yes, I I agree. Um, I I still struggle with what Zero Stack provides that isn't OpenStack made easier, and that seems to be what what a lot of companies are doing. OpenStack is too hard, so we need to make it easier to use. And the problem we, I'm seeing, and it, with other companies that have done the "Hey, let's make it easy" route, um, similar to what you're talking about, Keith, where the the enterprise guys or the people who've who've got a lot of experience start looking for the corner cases that, uh, hey, but I want it to do X, or oh, but I want it to do Y. And this is a real challenge for companies as they go into the enterprise market because the cloud market, the, one of the benefits or what, one of the defining features of cloud market is I don't care who you are, you buy what I'm selling. And that's what AWS does. Like You don't get to dictate to me that, hey, I don't care that you're a global top 10 customer. I am not putting an extra arm on my sweater. You get to buy exactly what I sell. And that's one of the strengths because you end up with this de facto standard. Um, and w when you say take on uh, vSphere, Stephen, it's like one thing around that is like the ecosystem of vSphere is what makes it so great. Like the, my favorite example is VAAI. So before that, we had things like SMIS and storage vendors and trying to get a storage appliance to take a snapshot from software, some, like automated or scripted or whatever, was a nightmare. And now, all of a sudden, you've got one API has so somehow managed to get all of these storage vendors to play nice. Why? Because they control the ecosystem. So if ZeroStack or other, these other companies are trying to use OpenStack but adding extra stuff onto it, they're trying to capture their own platform, which is what all the VCs fund and want them to do. The risk of that is that you end up with a fragmented platform and then you don't have any one standard for how you control it and how you use that software aspect to it and that's the important part of it all and that's the benefit that you get from public cloud is that well if i pick azure then everything will play with those apis and if i pick aws everything will play with those apis 
and I will do that and I will sacrifice having my own special snowflake stuff because keeping to these standards is more efficient and more useful. If a company like that goes for enterprise and then starts changing and starts responding to those customer um, requests for, hey, I just want this extra feature and, hey, I just want to turn on this thing and yeah, I, want I just want that extra bit. Yeah. Then they end up with this really ugly sweater that's customized to do lots of different corner cases and that just slows you down when you've got to make changes and you know you change you can't deprecate that API because that makes a and a big and important and highly revenue generating cu customer angry and then they can't use you and you're still competing with this other company who has gone no nope, you buy what we're selling or I don't care go away which is not entirely true they do yeah I was going to ask you about and they that do respond. Is it yeah. Is it true, really, that Amazon doesn't care? They care more now because they're trying to look to actually make money. Um, until now, they didn't really care so much about making cash. Now they do, it. and that's why everyone goes after the enterprise market because the margins are insane. But they aren't free margins. There's a reason enterprises are willing to pay that much money um, as compared to SMB, and they're not happy with just what everybody else is getting in most cases. They want to be treated like a special snowflake. And this is a really difficult thing to navigate as a company. Um, how do you grow your company and change in a way that responds to customers but without responding and changing too much so that you end up with something which is just unmanageable? And that's the risk I see for something like Zero Stack. And I think that's a great transition into the next layer, you know, one of the things I picked on cloud about in general is this loss of visibility and enterprises will pay extra for highly visible services. So, if, you know, if I can dig deep into the underlying, whether it's storage, network, whatever live lever I care about, if I can look at into the analytics of of that underlying well, let's call it, let's use a networking term. If I can look into the analytics of that underlay, then I'm a little bit more willing to take a look at a solution. I think for ZeroStack, if they had told them that their solution would be a great addition to my lab infrastructure, I'd throw that in the lab. And if somebody wanted to come in and play with OpenStack, well, here's their ZeroStack pod, have at it. But if I wanted to use a solution to support serious production level solutions, then I want more visibility. And the temptation is to say is AppFormix kind of the best of both worlds. You know, I get th that simple deployment of cloud, what VMware labels cloud native type infrastructure without that burden of managing the control plane. And I still get the I still get those analytics I love. Yeah. 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 I find they're not trying to boil the data center. They're not trying to do everything and have like a new stack. They're they're trying to to enable applications in a specific way. Yeah, I I have a a view forming on on this kind of analytics and and data collection stuff. Nerds love to look at all of the bells and whistles and things. Um, my view is that if you need to look at the, for example, the storage or the disk I.O. in this kind of application abstracted thing, then your I.O. subsystem is broken. The reason enterprises want to go and see all of this data is because they don't trust you. 
um, they don't trust that your solution is actually going to work the way that you say it does. Usually from experience, because and I've been there. It's like, no, 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 show me the data because I, you're saying that the problem is elsewhere and I don't believe you. And a lot of the time you're wrong. So, like, I don't know what the telemetry data coming out of my CPU is. I don't care, right? I don't know what the code path is and how much of the L2 cache is being used because it's completely abstracted away. If you can abstract away to that level, then you don't care about the underlying parts anymore and you don't look at the telemetry because you get overwhelmed by all of this data. I'm seeing that as a hangover from the enterprise things where you want to look at all of the telemetry data because if... If the telemetry on the O-ring is off by just a little bit, then the entire thing might explode. But if you're going to this new way of doing things, you shouldn't have to worry about that because the underlying components should be so well engineered and so well designed that I no longer have to worry about that low-level detail because it just works. If it doesn't just work, then we're just layering complexity on top of complexity. So... I've been in IT for a little over 18 years, and I think from a architecture perspective, I've probably been in a role where I'm responsible for performance management in some form or fashion for about 10 years. And over that 10-year period, I've, I've collected an awful lot of telemetry data coming from systems, whether it's you know storage, networking, or whatever. And every time, with the exception of maybe a two-year stand at Lockheed Martin where I had a team of really smart performance management people that could take that data, crunch it, and, and kind of tell me what it means. Every time, whenever I wanted to leverage that telemetry data to solve a problem or find out exactly what was the issue, I spent tens of thousands of dollars bringing in somebody way smarter than me to analyze that data. And that's and that's the rare occasion. That's not like, you know, over a 10 year period. I did that, you know, once every year. This is a 10 year period. I did it maybe three times. So is this the same challenge that Spirant has that it offers a capability that from a practical sense that next generation data center just doesn't need? Well, that's sort of the question, isn't it? It seems like the discussion has gone full circle here. You know, you've got. um as I said, you know, a few minutes ago, when we were talking about Spirant, you know, you've got a question is, 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 can I build a system that will scale and perform regardless? And if I can, do I care about scaling and performance then? Or do I just not worry about those things and say, let the system do it? And this is where I think the, the difference between do you need it and will you buy it is quite different. So people will, um, it's a, partly it's a trust thing. And partly it's, I think it's make work type thing, or it's just people saying, you know what, I just feel more comfortable if I buy a thing that lets me look at it. You know, I want to see a dashboard with the pretty pictures on it because it makes me feel like I'm doing my job. Um, It's a lie, but it's a convenient lie that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And there are plenty of customers out there who lack, I'll call it maturity um, and self-awareness to say, you know what, I'm collecting all of this data. I'm never going to use it, you know. I'm lying to myself saying that, yeah, I use it to make things better. No, I don't. I never do. But so very few goal, people are willing to be that honest with themselves. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 and for so long, we've been instrumenting and collecting data and not doing anything with it, um, except looking at pretty charts. Um, but I think that the app part of AppFormix and what they were trying to do with that was to have uh, or to enable 
people to build um, smart systems that would respond intelligently to what's going on in the infrastructure. So it's not just monitoring, it's, you know, monitoring plus API. So the whole... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. It, it it's it's it could be used to do that absolutely, um, but it's it's everyone has a shed full of tools that they never use. It's like you totally could use them to build all kinds of stuff. How often do you actually do that? And uh, like to your point, Keith, there are there are companies who will use this kind of telemetry data on their applications to tune them and and run A/B tests or to have them be automated control systems and automatically respond to changes in uh, min/max data and do six sigma type optimizations but there aren't very many people who are actually very good at that because it's a hard thing to do and most organizations I think believe or they they tell themselves that they're capable of doing that without being honest they know that they're not really ready for it but that's that's a hard thing to admit to yourself that actually I'm I'm not really that good so that brings us I think to, to we I think we set up this conversation nicely with the last company server so they're promising to take this deluge of information and make it better for you in simple ways. So, you know, we're getting all this telemetry data. Here's the data and here's what you need to do to make your infrastructure better. I think is the overall argument of the company. And is this an example of another tool that we'll probably not use, or is this like a practical solution? So we, you know, we want, all of this data from all of these sources, whether they're cloud, uh, whether there are uh, storage arrays or networking devices, uh, at the end of the day, I either need to hire, like I had at Lockheed Martin, where I had a team of guys, literally a team of guys, who could take this data and make really cool correlations between storage array performance and network latency and tell me how I need to have an application change in order to get the, the best performance out of it. Is it reasonable to think that a software package can do that for us? Well, I guess that's a $20,000 question for, you know, the new, th this whole world of, of uh, telemetry and, you know, big data analytics and so on. Um, I, I question that too, you know, is it, is it reasonable, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, quote, data scientists who spend their time trying to figure out amusing and interesting and useful correlations. And uh, and then you've got companies selling packages that allegedly do that for you in a shake and bake way. Is that really likely? I don't know. It, I think, yes, it can and, and no, it can't, depending on what you're doing. So what I see with these automation software things is that they're, and remember, this is selling into a market, so it's selling at a certain level of scale, which means I have a software package that can deal with things. I've written some software that does it, which has some sort of statistical model or some model inside it, which is based on assumptions about what the problem domain is. That problem domain has to be the same in all of the customers that I sell to in order for my software to work, because otherwise I'd have to do custom ones for everyone. So that means everyone has to have the same problem that they're trying to solve. And the problem for a lot of these things that they're trying to solve seems to be one around efficiency. So how much gear do I have? Um, how often does it yeah. break? How often do I do, do, need to do maintenance, right? So this is classic, classic um, hardware engineering type things, or you know, Six Sigma from the 80s, Toyota production system stuff. But that's all about efficiency, which is about driving out costs and risks. And yeah, it, it's about saving money. It's not about making money. And this is, it, this is the thing that tech seems to do all the time and most tech vendors seem to sell on. We're going to reduce your costs. 
It's like we, we've been being told that we'd have a paperless office and things would be cheap and easy for ages. You know, computers will just do it all for us. It never happened. <laughs> it's, it's still really hard to do all of this stuff and it seems to get more complex every day. Um, I think that's a really limiting vision to do. And it also assumes that the problem that they're solving exists and it is a relatively stable thing. Right at the moment, the industry is going through a huge amount of transition, which is changing the, that fundamental makeup of how infrastructure is done. So I question whether we can be optimizing for efficiency on something which we're about to change, apparently to be able to make things faster to market and um, additional value add and creating all of this information and stuff out of, out of all of this data that we have, when what we're kind of implementing is, you know what, I want to build exactly the same widget, I just want to build it 0.4% faster and use 3% less materials. But that's useful too. I don't know. Maybe Absolutely, too, it's uh, useful. Maybe we're too hung up on this whole idea that, uh, that we have to do, uh, you know, that, that new products have to be revolutionary. Maybe it's, maybe it's okay to spend some money to save some money. And, and it totally is. But you need to be aware of what you're doing and why. So if, you, if this is a re- an efficiency and a reduction thing, then that's great. That means that we're building the same thing. We're just doing it faster and, and cheaper by using less materials and so on. That's awesome. But you can't change it halfway through because now you're building a new thing, which changes the way that you build it. So your, your drive towards efficiency is diametrically opposed to making things more awesome. So doing both at the same time is really, really hard. And I think that's where a lot of the failure comes from. And you're setting the expectations wrong for what one of these things can do. Um, you know, if you're trying to reduce the amount of infrastructure that you require to run your existing workloads on VMware, awesome, go nuts. But if you're adding new applications that require you to stand up a whole bunch of new stuff and, and play with it and dealing with unknowns that you've never done before, if trying for efficiency is not what you should be doing first off. So this goes yeah. back, I think, to the question of what's the drivers and as we're moving towards this new data center. What's the drivers towards the new data center? Is it to save inefficiencies or is it to enable the enterprise to, to be more agile? You know, do I want to be the taxi company or do I want to be Uber? If I'm going to be the taxi <laughs> company, how do I compete against a Uber a Uber? And do I look towards a, a way to cut costs versus a way to become more agile? So what's, mm-hmm. I think the, the question comes to what's driving the change in the data center for your data center? If your data center is changing, why is it changing? And you, when you look at why is it changing, then you start to look at what solutions best fit support of that change. If I'm moving away from VMs and legacy infrastructure, I don't need to make that. It doesn't, at least it doesn't sound like I need to make that more efficient. I need to find out a way how to leverage it in a way that I can uh, pr- pr- provide an interface to that data center or strangle it to the point where we're not deploying anything new and we're standing up a parallel bimodal infrastructure to support the new. Is that do you guys agree with that assessment that it that you know it, it's mainly driven by what's the forcing factor in your data center change? Uh, let me. You want me to start there, Keith? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, 
I, that's something that I've actually been doing a lot of thinking about. Um, you know, uh, it seems to me that IT people and, uh, you know, everybody, frankly, would love to be, you know, in this new hyperscale world of, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the internet company of choice, Google, whatever type applications um, and, and, and data centers. So you have sort of a general purpose, truly software defined data center. Um, you have, you know, platform aware applications, you've got infrastructure aware platforms and things do their thing, right? Um, unfortunately, that's really hard to do. So I'm seeing a lot of people falling back to plan B, which is, okay, forget that. We in IT are going to transform IT because we can do that and um, we don't have to disrupt everything above us. And so what that means is, is basically you've got, um, you know, application ignorant data centers. Um, and that's, I guess, you know, VMware and VMs generally is a step in, in that direction because it means, you know, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of jack up the house and, and put it on wheels and nobody living in there will even know what's going on. Um, same thing is true with, you know, these, uh, you know, flexible stacks and so on. You know, you look at them, um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Nutanix or you look at, you know, zero stack or you look at, you know, a lot of this stuff. I mean, you know, Serba, what is Serba doing? They're all about, you know, moving those houses around on wheels without the occupants even knowing what's going on. They're not transforming the industry. They're, or they're not transforming the world. They're transforming inside the data center. And maybe that's the best that we can do unless we get to a new model where IT isn't, you know, a castle of its own. You know, maybe we need to really take this whole, you know, this DevOps movement seriously instead of just, uh, you know, paying lip service to it. Because that's the way that you're really going to transform IT. Yeah, I think I, I I agree, but I'll I'll I'm not letting the business off the hook. Business has got the IT they wanted. Um, hmm. they, they just yeah, they've got the IT they asked for. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily what they wanted. Um, and again, it's one of those things. People have gone. You know what? We tried all this stuff. It turns out it's really hard. Backups are boring. DR doesn't work, and it's hard and boring. So, but you know what's exciting and fun is new shiny stuff. Um, you know, and I'm an executive, I want to get promoted, so I'll go and do some sort of new shiny project rather than the boring plumbing one that no one cares about. And if it works, no one will notice. But if it doesn't work, then everyone, then everything explodes. And so there's only downside here. So human nature is I'll go and do the new shiny. So let's go buy this new magic bullet thing that will solve all of our problems, just like the last five IT projects did. You know, ERP will solve all of our problems. Um, you know, we'll put in desktops and client-server computing will be amazing. We won't have to worry about all of these other issues. None of them worked, be and it's nothing to do with the technology. It's always a people and process problem. Uh, this is just, I see all of this as technology trying to solve a people and process problem. Um, and it could be used to solve that problem, but so could using the stuff you've already got better. Um, but that's not exciting and new, so that's not what people do. You're such a curmudgeon. Are, are you really, you know, only a, a young man? 
<laughs> I have lived many lives in doing this. Um, look, I've, I've seen it, I have seen it do well, um, but the, the, the times when it works well is when the business knows what they're doing um, and they understand the motivations for doing it. It's not a technology-driven decision. It's we have these business outcomes that we want to do and technology is one part of it and then it becomes an integrated part of that project or initiative. I think I agree with you, Stephen, in that we've got this big, essentially business of its own being centralized IT or an IT department because we have special, technical specialists who run it. Um, the executives don't necessarily understand it. and It's been left to run by itself to provide this underpinning service. If that's the way we've designed our business, changing that to something where the IT stuff is actually integrated with the business is really hard. It requires fundamental restructuring of the business in a way that I don't think people really understand how to do. With that, uh, we're going on, uh, I think, uh, 40 plus minutes. So we'll end that discussion here. If folks want to hear more about your perspective on the industry, where, they, where can they find you, Justin? Uh, well, I write semi-regularly for Forbes, so you can find me at Forbes.com. Just search for Justin Warren. You'll see some articles from there. Um, and if you want to read more detailed technical stuff, you can look at my blog, which is eigenmagic.com. Um, and if you want to talk to me directly, Twitter is the best way, and I'm at JP Warren. And Stephen, for those of us not familiar with Tech Field Day, which is probably a very few of us, what's the next event? And if we're interested in becoming a delegate, how do we reach out to you? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, um, the next event is actually Networking Field Day. So all the folks in the Packet Pushers feed, um, Networking Field Day is coming in January, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you tune in. That's going to be the January 20th through 22nd. Um, we've already got some uh, some great companies signed on, some great familiar names signed on, and you can look at techfieldday.com to learn more about that. Um, also at techfieldday.com, um, if you click on sponsors or delegates in the menu bar, you can learn more about how to be one of those two, and we love to invite in new people. Uh, that's one of the ways that we keep things fresh and one of the ways that we find uh, good folks like uh, the two of you guys because we want to mix it up. And so we would love to have some some new people in, in there. All right. Thanks for uh, joining us. And thank you, listeners, for taking your time out to listen to this special edition community podcast. You can find me on the Twitters. I'm at CTO Advisor. And you can uh, check out some of my writings. I'm all over the place on the web, but the main place is the CTO advisor .com. Thanks a lot.